Alright, Booker Tov. We start a new Masechah today. Sota. Um, Sardaf is Bayes. Um, and one or two quick words about the Masechah. Thank God we now have uh, back to a real Rashi, uh, which means that just to have the wonderful benefit of Rashi's, uh, like you really get to appreciate Rashi when you don't have him for a while. You know, sort of, you know, very distilled um, um, and clear, you know, commentary to the Gemara. What that also allows for is for there to be a more real Tosvos, because when Tosvos had to do the work of Rashi, which is basically what Tosvos had to do in uh, in uh, Nazir, there was not as much of an opportunity for Tosvos to say, do much more than clarify what was going on on the Daf itself, rather than ask more of his sort of like broad questions in terms of comparing to other sugyot, you know, or just more sort of like broadly uh, um, an, um, analytic types of questions. Um, so that's very nice, um, and there's another Tosvos here along the side, uh, but what it also does mean is that there's more Gemara per Daf, because when you have Tosvos that are so long, when you have the pseudo Rashi is doing his own job of commentating and not doing as terse as Rashi, and then you have the pseudo Tosvos, and then you have Tosvos, which is taking on Rashi's responsibility, but also in a much longer way. Uh, so much of you know the Rashi, of the pseudo Rashi and the Tosvos are filling up the Daf in terms of the just explaining what's going on. Whereas here, because you know Rashi sort of gives you the base explanation, and therefore Tosvos can focus on these more critical questions, um, there's less of Rashi, there's less, you know, of, of there's less in terms of the commentary, of, of the base commentary, because Rashi does such a good job being terse and to the point, and there's less Tosos, because Tosos is now really focused on a much more narrowly defined task. So the Dapim look more like standard Dapim of the Gemara, there's a lot more Gemara per Daf, and there's also a lot of Agadita, and so if you just glance ahead, you know, here, like on Daf Yadav, whatever, you know, you can just see, because like Daf like this, yeah. right, on Daf Teramadath, right, like, you know, there's a lot, so, so there's two reasons why there's a lot more Gemara of Hardaf, so I'll have to talk faster. Um, um, so that's just in terms of what's, uh, in terms of like the structure of the Gemara. Um, in terms of what the, co- the Gemara covers, um, as uh, advertised, it deals with the Parsha of Sota in the Torah, and we'll deal right away with sort of its placement in the, in, in uh, Seder Nashim. Um, and the first like uh, eight Prakim or so, not eight, that's too much, the first uh, six Prakim are just dealing with uh, procedure of under what circumstances is a woman declared a sota, a woman suspected of having committed adultery that would necessitate going through the process of having, of bring, of having her being brought to the Beit HaMikdash and drinking from the water, etc. And once it decides what are the circumstances in which a woman is a sota, then it gets on to the procedure of the bringing of the, uh, uh, of the drinking of the water and how would that ritual go and then the bringing of the sacrifices and how would that ritual go, what could be the various consequences of those rituals, what about special cases you know, let's say a woman is a shomeret yabam, would it be the same halacha as, and who's, who's suspected of committing adultery, would it be the same halacha as a wife let's say she's an arusa, not an isua so then also deals with special cases, but you know, very sort of logical structure and almost, sequen- almost you know uh, uh, sequential type of a, of a treatment of the issue, starting from her being suspected to her being brought to the Beit HaMittaj, so as you know from other Masechto, it doesn't always follow that type of a sequential sort of you know sort of uh, order in terms of the Masechet and then the last two in particular are very interesting or last three because it starts with the seventh parak about Elu Ne'emarim B'cholashon because there's a question whether Parshat Sota you know or whether the recitation of Sota is said B'cholashon or not uh, and therefore it gets it becomes an opportunity to talk about all various types of ritual acts of speech whether it's Kriyat Shema or Tefillah or whether it's Birchat Kohanim or a whole wide range can they be said must they be said only in Hebrew or can they be said in any language um, so that becomes a really then interesting opportunity to explore all these different mitzvot related to speech and whether again you can use other languages and it's an opportunity to explore other aspects of them as well in particular the last parak is about Egla Arufa the breaking of the neck of the heifer when there's a murder you don't know who did it and it starts with the question about whether that's said but then it uses that as an opportunity to discuss what exactly is the ritual of Eglarufa when do you do it how do you measure the most nearby city you know all of its different parameters because there's no other place well it could have been in Sanhedrin I suppose but but Sanhedrin is more about prosecuting the murderer when you find him right whereas great the video call was lost whereas here it is um darn it 
Okay. We lost. We, it dropped the... Oh, is it resuming it? Maybe it's reset. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It did resume it. Okay. Um, whereas, you know, here it's about not knowing. So this is the opportunity in Shas, the one place in Shas where it discusses the parameters of um, uh, of Agla Arufa. And I think that it's not just coincidental, like oh, there was no other place to discuss it, and we have the hook of Kola shown. I also think it's because Egla Arufa, like um, what do you call it, like Sota, I mean, is a case where what is a ritual that you do when you don't know if some a serious type of a offense has been committed, right? So both of them are, in a sense, are rituals that are done in this case of doubt. So I think that's another reason why that's there. So that's going to be an interesting, like, end to the Masechet. Well, uh, yes. Dead body in one Right, right. That is correct. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. In one case, you, you know what happened, you don't know who did it. In the other case, the basic question is, you know who the suspected parties are, are, you don't know what ha- if something happened or not. That's true. I mean, it's, no, right, right. It's a, that's true. Uh, but it, the way the Torah does describe it, it does sound like it's clear that a murder did occur. But right, okay, all right. So, um, uh, all right. I don't know what the heck is happening here. Whether this is working or not. Um, so let's keep on going. So the. Um, uh, so let's start now with the Mishnah. Okay, Hamikaneli Ishto. If a man is um, now Mikaneli here becomes an interesting verb, which the Gemara is going to get to, because the way the Torah describes it is is Ishishkitisteisto. So a man's wife has gone wayward, and then we're about, you know, and then it sort of becomes clear that he's suspecting this, um, and says Vikineyat Ishto Vihinitma'a. Oh, a spirit of jealousy passes by him. Oh, So he's jealous. Is he right or is he wrong? We don't know, but he's jealous. Okay, and then the Torah goes on to say that what does he do? He brings his wife for this uh, ritual of the sota. So actually, and it's really important to put the, mention this at the outset, that what. what that that it's one really interesting thing to note in terms of the 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 you know how the Torah Balpeh frames Sota um, is that what it does is it takes uh, how it sort of you know diverges from the simple pshat of the psukim because I would say there are two places you know most obvious that comes to mind where the Torah sort of allows for what could, you know, less of a judicial system and more, um, well, one case is, is like the vigilante justice of the Goel Hadam, right? So there, right, somebody, you know, where somebody, the redeemer of blood, a relative was murdered, you go and you murder, it's whatever, in, in response. And there it's clear that the Torah is sort of tempering the reality of Goel Hadam. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of uh, eliminate it, but it brings in the judicial structure. It has the person being sent to the Arei Miklat, the Shachum Sham, and then the Beistin, right, takes over, and they basically bring the guy back from the Ir Miklat, and they do a normal judicial type of a proceedings, right, and if he gets killed in a way that violates this procedure by the Goel Adam, then the Goel Adam has committed murder. So, nevertheless, yeah, if, you know, in certain cases, if this guy, if the guy is outside of the Yer Miklat when he shouldn't be, right, so then the Goel Dam can kill him without, you know, um, you know, with impunity. And according to some Tanaim, he even has a mitzvah to kill him. So it's an interesting, you know, balance moving away from this vigilante tribal type of justice to a judicial system. But nevertheless, you know, not, you know, it, it hasn't been completely eliminated. So what you have, that's in the Psukim themselves. So what you have by Sota, right, is you have something that in the simple sense of the Psukim, there's absolutely no evidence. The Kinesh Ishtov, he's jealous. Who knows what, what she did. So he goes in, he slips her to the base on Mikdash, and we're going to now have this ritual. So it's completely he has that power or ability just because he's jealous. Doesn't need any evidence. Completely subjective. What Chazal uh, do, how they interpret it though, is Kinesh becomes the whole thing becomes judicial you know there's got to be a word judicialized I don't know anyway um, the whole thing becomes sort of brought into a judicial system uh, no but I, I mean more than that because the whole whole system is brought into a judicial context um, and the kine at ishto 
becomes a, a almost you know a, a, a concrete act of laying groundwork to create sufficient uh, sort of uh, circumstantial evidence to le- a legal right a legal act that's going to give us the basis now for saying that there's reason to think that good circumstantial evidence that she might have committed adultery and now for therefore we can process this and continue to take this further so it's a sort of amazing thing not just in terms of you know not just in terms of like sort of making those demands that there be that the circumstantial evidence be that, that foundation be laid but taking this verb the kinet ishto which is purely about his own subjective jealousy and turning it into a, almost like a judicial act okay or, or you know a very concrete act that creates objective circumstantial evidence so that's sort of uh, so, so let's take a look about how that plays out but that's the word mekanel ishto is going to be an act of warning one's wife not to be in private with another man um, and and as we'll see in the Mishnah and warning her in the presence of witnesses so it's actually a formal act that creates you know this uh, context okay a specific right a specific man don't be in private with this specific man and she's being warned in the presence of of witnesses and this is called being mikhanel ishto okay so and by the way notice also the difference of the preposition in the Torah it is vikinei et ishto right and it's mikhanel li ishto because here it shifts from being jealous about his wife to warning his wife admonishing his wife okay yes yeah the way it sounds in the Torah though it sounds like she's guilty you know it's just a technicality that we can't well that's the other thing in the Torah. The Torah. No, no, no. No, it's not. No, listen. This is how it's introduced. Uh, yeah, I just said ish. You skip the first yeah. part. Ish, ish, ki tishtei. That's how it's like. Right. Introduced. Right. Someone slept with her, but her husband didn't know. Right. And she was like, you know, secretive and closeted, but there's no, uh, you know, right. there's no witness. Right. Then it says, oh, can I maybe, and she was, well, well, maybe she wasn't. You right. know what I mean? But the way it's, you know. I think what Michael's saying is absolutely correct. I think the shot of the psukim is there's a presumption of guilt. Mm-hmm. So it's not only that he's entitled due to his jealousy, and there's no evidence mentioned in the psukim, and not even circumstantial, there's an automatic presumption of guilt. And in a way, she needs the ritual to, you know, remove her from that presumption of guilt um, but why was there that presumption right right uh, look it is true okay we can debate this I agree with Michael that it is sort of saying like okay we assume she's guilty maybe she didn't do it but the basic meaning just not I, because I think he's right it says here's what happened or maybe she didn't do it but anyway you could anyway the interesting thing to read is according to halacha and which is not clear in the psukim once a woman is a sota she has a status of tmei'ah and she is forbidden to continue to sleep or to have sex with her husband her husband continues to have sex forbidden to continue to have sex with her she actually has a status of as if she had committed adultery until her that status is clarified through the ritual in the Beit HaMikdash so again that also reflects almost like this presumption of guilt until it's clarified the way the Gemara is going to understand it is because we've laid this groundwork of circumstantial evidence but I do agree you know at least uh, whatever we can debate that but I agree with Michael <laughs> on another level you might consider this as if in his imagination uh, right, that's a good point. Meaning, meaning, Vishakhavi Shota is like, here is what he is imagining. Right, that's a good point. That's a good point. That might be describing, like, these are the images that are, like, you know, that are, right, this is his, this is what he is, right, exactly. This is what's, you know, filling his head. Yeah, the to me always um, suggested that this entire ritual was for the benefit of the man assuaging his, like, clarifying or assuaging his jealousy. Right. You're describing is it's a ritual that's necessitated by the real possibility that she's in the Look, I think we can discuss that. I mean, I do think it, it, on the one hand, the psukim do not make clear do not make clear what the halacha later says, which is that she has a status of being tmei'a until the ritual. So if she doesn't have that status, you could say that it's just a man's jealousy, and we're just dealing with his jealousy. 
On the other hand, I do want to sort of say to back up, you know, Michael's read of the Psukim is that when the Kohen makes makes her swear, the Kohen says, like he basically presents it as if as if this happened when he makes her take that oath as well. So I I I I do think that there's a sense that we really do suspect or maybe even we assume that that. So anyway, but the Psukim, but the Gemara here, the Halakha reframes this as laying circumstantial evidence and as a formal act of warning the warning the wife. Okay, so let's take a look. Um, and uh, by the way, I should say that the last, that Nazir ended with a whole series of Mishnayot about Raglayim Lidavar, and you know, when you have circumstantial evidence and basis to assume, and that's generally, although that word is not used in this Mishnah, seems to be the point about Sota is Raglayim Lidavar, and that phrase does come up soon enough. So that might have been an intentional way of segueing from Nazir to Sota, is Raglayim Lidavar. So let's take a look. See, we haven't gotten past the first two words. Amekanel Ishto, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Mekanela Apishnaim, he warns her in the presence of two witnesses, Umashke, and can make her drink Api Eidechad by one witness, because it's not enough to warn. What Chazal also read in is, okay, he warned her, but then what happens afterwards? Where's the circumstantial evidence? So then there's another event that occurred, which is Venistra. Okay, he needs ma. Okay, and now that isn't the psukim, right? Because the psukim do say, okay, oh, what is it? He needs ma. Okay, oh, uh, No, it only says it doesn't say he right? It just says he needs right? So in the psukim, it's not clear that she objectively was nistara, and the question is what happened. You could read the psukim like he suspects that she was Nisterav and Nitma'ab, but maybe there's no evidence that anything happens. So the other thing that Chazal do is they not only make Kinyat Ishta warning her in a formal judicial and a formal act, but then Nistera is objectively known. And because Nistera is objectively known that she was in private with this man, with the backdrop that she was specifically warned against going into private with this man, that then becomes the basis for the for this for this concern. Okay? Another way of saying then is that if there was no aid at all about the Sira, one way or the other, that you can't. Well, let's take a look. Okay, but let's take a look. It might depend. It might depend on which position of the Tanaim you adopt. Right. The There's no direct evidence, right. But the point what Chazal do is they say Venistara, that is like that is known. As a, right in the Pasuk, Venistara could still just be his imagination. Right? But what Chazal do is not only they say Kine means to warn in front of witnesses, but they say Nistara then becomes also an established fact. Okay, and there are those two stages, being warned and then stira, and then being in private. Okay, so let's, one more time. warned in front of two. But here, to make her drink, to say that she's violated this warning and gone in private, that suffices if there's even one witness or even his own testimony. Okay, so here actually it's not so objective. He still has to say that he actually directly observed it. He can't just say he suspects her. But nevertheless, even he himself, according to Rabbi Eliezer, is believed to say that she went into private. So that and that work in regular, just, right? I can't be the one. Right, obviously not. Okay, but here it is. But okay, so here, so that definitely does make it more him. But oh, but he's not just suspecting. He's he's making at least a claim. Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Rabbi Yoshua makes it as most objective as possible. The warning has to be in front of two, and her going into private to allow to then be able to force her to drink also has to be in front of two. And he can't be one of them. Kate, correct. Kate said Mekanala. How does he warn her? Omer Labifnei Shnayim. Because that's not debated. Both Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua say the warning is in front of two. He says in front of two. Al Tadabinis Ploni. Do not speak with so-and-so. Okay? Um, the, now, um, that seems presumably... Uh, there's always an interesting question here about what phrase is a euphemism. Okay? And Tidabi sometimes is a euphemism for sex. But presumably, he's saying, no, I don't even want you speaking to this guy. Okay? The Debra Emo... Now, she violates that, and she goes ahead and she speaks to the guy. She's permissible to her house, meaning to, to have sex with her husband. She's the wife of a Kohen. She can eat truma because again if she had committed adultery or if she has a status of a sota that, uh, that, so that will treat her as if she committed adultery until it's clarified she can't have sex with her husband and if the wife of a coin can't eat truma so 
not. It's not sex, right? Exactly, exactly. So that right. So if so, just because she violated, that would not make her a sota. So what makes her a sota is not just the violate the violating, but the going into private. The nistera there. If she went with him into a private location, and stayed there the length of time that it would take to have sex, okay, based on the positive of vinit me'ah, she became defiled, which means that she had committed, had sex, okay. Then, then she has the status of a sota until it's cleared up what happened through this ritual in the base of Mikdash. She can't have sex with her husband, she can't be truma. The mate and let's say the husband dies before the whole ritual is done, so now there's no way to do the ritual because the husband's dead. You need a husband alive to do the ritual. Okay, so is she the status of a woman who committed adultery or not? So she's a suffix. And So if there's a living brother and there was no children from this marriage, you can do chalitza, you can't do yibam because yibam would not be permitted in the case where the woman had committed adultery. Okay, and we'll find out about that. So let's bracket the yibam. Yeah, I do think I didn't go back and check I do think Sota came up once or twice in Masechah Yivamot it was a while ago but here it's looking at it right from the other end yeah so based on this I mean I'm having too close to read if he said more than one person then it wouldn't be valid he said don't don't go speak to, to a people. plony or plony and then right so that's like can you combine two separate is that considered as two separate keynotes combined at once right you know if he said don't speak to I don't speak to anyone ever I mean you can't do that well okay so those are good questions but we'll take a look at the tomorrow Exactly. Now, it is interesting, though, you know, he doesn't have to say don't go in private. His jealousy could go even beyond that. I don't want to see you speaking to that. I clearly, that's a jealousy that's even beyond, right? You know, and it could also be a jealousy that he doesn't yet suspect her of doing anything wrong. He's just as concerned about where things might lead. Like, I, you know, I saw you flirting with that guy. I saw you talking to that guy, right? I don't want to, right? So, and he, so but that would be sufficient to be constitute a warning, right? Even if he's not yet suspecting her of having done it or even if he's not telling her not to be in private, even if it exceeds those types of, of concerns. Okay, let's take a look at the Gemara. Okay, and by the way, another interesting thing to note in addition to how Chazal have made this more under judicial auspices is, you know, the Torah is not critical of what the husband does. You know, um, besides the earlier question of is it presuming she's guilty or not, but the Torah certainly does not say anything about wrong about the man's actions. That's, I mean, the end of the Pesukim is, Vinikaha so why do you even have to say seems to be saying like he did nothing wrong about suspecting her right seems to be the, a, a shot way of reading this so we will see you know as we saw in the Darim it's so interesting the Darim, Nazir and Sota right you know that are these good phenomena or bad phenomena you know so the, we saw always this ambivalence around making the Darim and ambivalence around being a Nazir so we'll also see a similar questioning and ambivalence and maybe even negativity towards the husband's acting in this type of a way, which is not evident in the Psukim. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara. I'm sorry. In other words, it seems to be counterpoint from antiquity uh, around honor killings. In other words, there's no right. there. That's right. Exactly right. So, in a way, that's a good point. Similar to controlling the Goel Hadam, already in the Psukim, while it hasn't been made judicial, it right. is controlling the complete vigilante honor yeah. killings. That is correct. And that is a point that really needs to be underscored. Yeah, right. At least it's saying, you might have your jealousy, you can't act on it. Like, here's the way you got to deal with it. Right. right. That's a very good point. Right. So, already the Psukim is controlling, you you know, complete vigilante, right, exactly, and then the Torah Shabbat makes it even more, it can't be all the husband's jealousy, there has to be something a little more objective. Not just at that time. Right, 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 exactly, exactly, yep, all right, so let's take a look. Nichti. Um, Tana, everybody has more to say somehow about Sota than about Nazir. I can't understand it. Okay. Tana, okay, Nichti, let's take a look. Tana mi Nazir Salik. The Tana just finished Masechet Nazir. My Tana de Katana Sota. Why does Sota follow Nazir? Could be because it's the only Masechet left, but okay. In Nazir, but all right. Kid Rebbe. Like Rebbe. The Tanya, Rebbe Omer. Lama Nismecha Parshat Nazir le Parshat Sota. Why in the Torah does Nazir and Sota juxtapose? Okay, there in the Torah, of course, Nazir uh, Sota precedes Nazir. Well, had to tell you, if somebody sees a Sota in her disgrace, and he sees, like, what, you know, what 
what can happen if people sort of uh, follow their desires um, and it should lead to him forswearing himself from wine uh, because you know wine then brings about it becomes leads to indulgence and, and going ahead and uh, you know can put you on a bad path um, and acting in ways that you otherwise would not act so what right right anyway okay but that adds that order that has that order. Notice, by the way, also it's about the man. Like it's still Haroe Yazir Atzmo. So he sees what the, it's still. It's so funny that even when it's about the woman sinning and taking heed, it's about men taking heed from the woman's sin as opposed to you know women taking. It's all even here. It's like still from, from the man's perspective. Right, exactly. Did you did you finish Kedushin and Gittin when I was away last week? Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. It's not the last one. It's the last. Wait, you're right, you're right. I don't know why I said it was the last. You're right. You're right. You're right. It's the last in this crop. You're right. I was too, I was, I'm too eager to move on to Nazikin. You're right. You're right. Okay, good point. Good point. All right, anyway. Okay. Um, so, the Lisni Sota, Vahadur Lisni Nazir. So, say Sota and then say Nazir, which is the order in the Psukim. So, I did the Tani Ksuvus, Vatana Hamadir, Tana Nadav. Now, we're going to get a look at the whole sequence. Ksuvus talked about, you know, one of the things about Ksuvus was the relationship of husband and wife and a wife making vows and the husband annulling it so that became a nice segue into Nidarim although that wasn't at the very end of Ketuvot but it certainly is Nidarim relate to the husband-wife marriage relationship a lot of Nidarim is in the Torah is the parsha about husband and wife and annulling vows okay so that was a logical follow-up from Ketuvot so I did the Tani Nidarim Tana Nazir Nidarim what's are talking about Nidarim they're talking about Nazir which is a type of a Nidar Tani Sota get a Rebbe and once we had that, now we have Sota that follows Nazir, just as it does sort of in the, um, you know, in the Torah. It's juxtaposed, the order is reversed because of the logical sort of move of to vote Nidarim Nazir as a unit and then moving on to Sota. Now, of course, also the reason is, as I, uh, as I always say when we begin a Masechet, that it's the number of Prakim, right? It's the size of the Masechet that determines like the bigger Masechet defined by number of Prakim come earlier. Um, but that being said, how many Prakim are there in Sota? Uh, nine, I think. Nine. And how many were there in Nazir? There were nine. Okay, so you see, that's the, you still need to answer the question because they're both nine. So you could have had Sota come first. And it really is true that this sort of is a logical sequence, Ksuvos, Nidarim, Nazir, um, as a unit, and then moving on to Sota. Okay, so now let's go on. Hamekanev, a man who um, is jealous of his wife or warns his wife, the evidence this sounds like only if he's doing it, but not that he should do it. Okay, Rashi says it could have said it's a different way. It could have said, Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Mikane Adam Lishtoa Pishnayim. It says, if Hamikane, he's already doing it, let's talk about how it gets done. But it sounds like it's video evidence. Tosvos points out that very often it says ha x and it doesn't mean bidyeved. Okay, ha holech lishchot et pesach. Okay, that doesn't mean it's bidyeved. So again, the fact that the Gemara is choosing to read this as a bidyeved, right? Maybe again because it could have framed it differently, but maybe because the Gemara is already inclined to be disapproving of this, as we will see. Yes. And you have a mitzvah doing that, but somewhere else. Right. So, you know, it's not, right, but there are some that are going to say it's a mitzvah, you know. But yes, uh, but yes, that's basically what Tosa says. He says, look, when it's possible to read it as a lechatzchilo, whatever, when it's clear, you know, we'll read it that way. But here, I mean. So that it's the, the, the elsewhere where it tells you to do that thing that makes it. Right, makes it clear. Right. So that's essentially what Tosu says. But it could also be that the Gemara is inclined to try to read this in a disapproving way. So let's take a look. Right. But it could be that there's a re- obviously there is a real uh, lingu- you know grammatical thing uh, the Gemara is picking up. Right. Exactly. Right. right. So right at the outset, with very little textual basis the Gemara puts out there the first excellent, the first thing you hear in this Masechet is Asr Lakanos I think that's pretty powerful those are the first first thing you hear Asr Lakanos so you're not allowed to do this procedure okay 
Amar of Shmuel bar Rav Yitzchak, ki havi patach reishlakish besota, when reishlakish would begin learning, now is it Mesechat Sota, or Rashi says he would talk about Sota, the Parshat Sota, he was giving a drasha and show. Amar hachi, here's what he would say. Um, and Kossin, when they would give like a drasha, you know, they would start with Agadita and so on. So, ein mezavgin lo ladam isha elufi ma'asav. The, uh, uh, again, interestingly using the wine metaphor in the juxtaposition to Nazir, they, uh, so to limzo coast is to pour a glass of wine to mix it with water. Anyway, heaven does not sort of make, you know, sort of match up with a person. Pour for a man, a woman, except... Oh, zivug. Oh. Oh, I'm thinking of Moe's game. Yeah, I don't know what's with me today. Okay. What? It could be a plan word. Yeah, but I think you're right. It would have, but it would have been Moe's game. I think you're right. Zivug. Right. Okay. All right. It's not just a glass of wine. Right. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I don't know what's with me this morning. All right. Okay. A person is only matched up with a, ma- a man, I was meaning, with a woman according to his actions, according to his deeds. Um, because the, uh, the staff, the, uh, the lot of the wicked will not fall in the, you know, uh, you know, in the lot of the righteous. Um, so if you are, if you're a righteous person, then you're not going to get something that's deserving for wicked people which means what? which means that your wife wouldn't have gone to do all this unless you were bad to begin with which means that if you're about to publicly be jealous about your wife what are you communicating and broadcasting to the rest of the world? that you must have deserved a wife like this right? so it's like on the one hand like if this is happening to you what, what did you do wrong to deserve it? but I think it also very much you know play, so rather than dumping all on the woman right? To look, you know, it's like again, going like in, if you think of that in conversation to the psukim about the kineas, you know, vinikaha ish me'avon, right? And this is sort of saying, uh, no, if he's going ahead and this is what his wife is doing, you got to wonder what he did and what type of a person he is. So it's almost like exactly not vinikaha. What does it reflect about him? And then one also wonders what the message is about, you know, asulakan oath. Like if you know, you, you better think twice because you're going to be saying something about who you are as well, not just about who she is. Yes. Couldn't, uh, husband couldn't do that if he didn't have some level yes. of authority. Yes, right, right. Well, so that, that, that the waters wouldn't work if he himself had sinned. Okay, right. But so that's if, in fact, he had. This is more like of a theological statement. But if this is a people's belief, right, then that will impact, uh, you know. So, um, so that's what I think. I think that this is a way of making people really think, men really think twice before they go ahead and do this. I'm a rabbi barbarchanam rabbi yochanan the kashim lezavgam kikriya here clear it's vivugwa the kashim lezavgam kikriyat yamsuf it's as difficult to match them correctly as the splitting of the sea okay because how do you get a perfect match shenemar right very appropriate now with the whole shidduch crisis kashim lezavgam kikriyat yamsuf shenemar Elohim Hoshiv Yechidim Baita God makes the individuals dwell at the home so actually means it takes two individuals and makes them set up a home matches them and creates a bayit Okay. Motzia sirim b'kosharot, like as like from like removing you know those that are bound um, with. Um, so what does b'kosharot mean? Does it mean from their chains? Rashi says it means in the from right. That's what I think pshat is. Rashi says it means at the right time. Like he brought you know he he uh, you know he brought them out in the spring. It was a nice time. But anyway, oh, ha- yeah, exactly. So anyway, but br- what? Yeah. This is real Rashi, yeah. So that's what I was saying initially, that that's why Tosus is normal, because Rashi is back. And so anyway, but, so you see, so God took them out, so talking about like Kriyat Yamsuf, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and that is being compared to, you know, uh, to making, finding two, right, two individuals and creating a match. Um, Amy, is this really true? That 40 days before the child is formed, what's the significance of 40 days before the child is formed? What happens 40 days before the child is formed? It's when it's conceived. Right? It's, 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 the, the sense is that 40 days after conception is when it becomes like considered a, vi- a fetus. I and mean, that's not just Maya Ba'alma in one phrase of the Gemara. That's the beginning of the forming of the child 
forty days after conception. So this means at the moment of conception. Okay, so at the moment of conception, okay, you know, a, a heavenly voice comes out and says, "The daughter of so and so will go to Plony, and the you know, and he'll get such and such a house, and he'll get such and such a field." So why why is this a question? Because if the match is Lefimasov, then um, then you can't do the match yet because you don't know yet what his masim will be because there's bechir chavshis and al kol b'day shemayim chutz miyir shemayim. So this really is know. well, okay, that gets to that whole question. But let's we have to anyway. But that would obviously raise that question. So this this midrash in a way, you know, it speaks about like as a basko and might speak about mazel. But this midrash can easily be translated into you know the reality about how so much of our life is predetermined for us before we're born. I mean, it certainly was that way in the ancient world when there was like very little choice and very little mobility and so on. But even nowadays, right, your genetics, so it has a lot to do with your character and your intelligence, whatever, are you being born into, what type of a family, right, upper middle class, poor, you know, what type of education are you going to receive, what type of society are you going to live in? So much is predetermined already, you know, before you even come out into this world. And that seems to be what this Midrash is saying. Like, at the moment of conception, right, it's always like, are you going to be a, you know, are you, are, you know, are you, what type of field are you going to get, what type of house are you going to get, but interestingly it also says, what type of woman are you going to marry? Now how is that fated? Okay, and this is the idea of, now by the way, I should say another Medrash says, is this child going to be a Chachamo, Russia, Ashiro, Ani, and then it says, so the Gemara, and all these other things, so the Gemara says, one minute, I get everything else, Ashiro, Ani, this or that, Chachamo, Tipech, that I get, but how could it be Tzadik or Russia? What happened to Bechir or Chavshi? So the Gemara says, okay, take out Tzadik or Russia. Right? So, you know, so again, like everything is faded except what are your actions going to be, right? That thing is very clear. That's totally Bechir Chavshis. So here, how could we speak about uh, the match being faded if it's Lufi Masav? Those two don't work together. Well, that's not okay? that it's hard. Because meaning like it was so hard, then hey, you know, how's God already knowing? No, no, that's not the way. You'll see, that's not the, that, that does not seem to be the question. Rashi says, especially if you know that another Gemara sort of explicitly eliminates from this list Sadiq and Russia. Like really is the point, like that's not determined. So if it's Lufi Masav, how could that be faded? So on the one hand, it's the idea of Bashert, but it's interesting that the Gemara doesn't think that Bashert is, le- is equal to, you know, your worthiness and your deeds and your character. Well, maybe character, but not deeds. Okay, so let's take a look. No, so, I thought the, didn't we just say a second before that Kashin Kriyat Yamsuf and then Aini, yeah. so Aini's not going Kriyat Yamsuf, is going on the thing before it? Yeah, that's what Rashi understands. Okay, so the Gemara says. First marriage or second marriage? The first marriage is Bashert, is the Baskal is Yotzes. The second marriage is Lufimasov, which is like, what? So, like, you only get the spouse you deserve if you have a second marriage? The first spouse is based on some type of a fate? You know, and are you telling me that, like, that, like, the whole idea of Bashert is that it's not a good match necessarily? It's just what's, like, somehow destined because of life circumstances? I mean, it's very hard to come up with a satisfying sort of like theological, religious resolution. No, it can't be because of Lefimas of his whole point that it hasn't happened yet. Um, so, that's number one. Actually, in some of the, I saw some of the uh, Mepharshim actually ask, actually the Tosa Shantz, I think, says, he says, it does, I don't know, it's one of the Baliatosos, okay? It's probably from the students of the Rashmi Shantz. Okay, which, uh, anyway, so Sens, right, which is uh, towns in Germany. So anyway, um, um, the point is, he says it's only Lefimasov if it's a second marriage for both of them. Because presumably, if it's not a second marriage for both of them, for one of them, it's still who they were fated for. Of course, that's interesting because this whole thing is being said from the man's perspective. So you might have said, yeah, the woman doesn't get anything fated. It's just like the man, right? It's Lefi his masav, Lefi his fate. So once he's on to a second marriage, it could be her first, but you know. But it's interesting that he sort of balances it. Along that line, of like of like whose perspective is it? Look at Tosros, Kodim Yitir Savlad. Tosros says, Nira Lerebi, Kodim Yitir Savzachar, Benim Lo Noda Nekeva Dain Benim Noda. 
right? Because it says, so it's all basically the man is the one being matched up. And, you know, maybe he also was dealing with the reality we're dealing with, which is, is that if they married younger women, so there what he was dealing with that reality. So how could you have matched him up if the, if, if the woman hadn't been created yet? So someone at the Marshall wants to say, that's why it says, Bas Ploni Laploni, because you don't even know yet. She's not, <laughs> you just know it'll be that man's daughter, but she hasn't yet even come into existence yet. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so again, it's, it, it is interesting, obviously, the whole ma- male perspective and how this then, this then doesn't help the race Lakish's, the whole nice Russia about Sota. Because then, if, you know, certainly in those times, all, most people were only on a first marriage. I mean, I guess after later in life, it could be because there was a lot of death and childbirth. But anyway, but like, you know, there certainly was a lot less divorce, right? So, um, so to say, oh, well, the first marriage is not with Imasov, then it doesn't help for Pasha Sota for everybody who's on a first marriage, right? It doesn't say anything about that. So it's clearly that that was not Reish Lakish's intention. The Gemara is trying to reconcile two different Midrashim. But clearly Reish Lakish's intention was, um, you know, was to say that it's always Lefimasav. And again, when we sort of imagine the idea of Bashert, we imagine Bashert because it's the right person, right? It's not just somehow faded, but it's faded because somehow it's the right match. It's the Kashim Zivugim, right? This is putting all of that onto the second marriage and making the first one somewhat arbitrary or seems to be, right? So it's hard to sort of deal with the, this Gemara that tries to bring these two together. All right, let's continue. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, um, so they're only arguing whether, whether the warning and the going into hiding actually not even what we're arguing about the warning the warning they agree is two and then they're debating about whether the hiding the hiding the going to private needs two or one if there was somebody to testify directly that he had committed adultery not just she went into, pri- into, into private in, into a private place but that he said I saw them commit adultery so then presumably one witness would be believed now how do you know that right Tosa says what do you mean maybe think about it if one witness says she committed adultery you do, we're going to find out you don't make her drink the water you only make her drink the water if you have a doubt if a witness says she committed adultery we're going to say like it's not two witnesses so we're not going to kill her right we don't have that type of witness what, what we're going to say we assume that then we're going to say then we'll treat it as if she definitely did it again not enough to prosecute her, but enough to say that she gets divorced without a ksuva, she can't drink the water and all those things. So, Tosu says, how do you know that everybody would agree to a lower standard? Maybe because the consequence is so final, everybody would demand a higher standard of two witnesses. So there's really nothing in the Mishnah that makes it clear that if it's about direct testimony, whether one would suffice. Um, so Tosu basically says, yeah, because we're going to have a brighter that says that, so we're really just doing a lead into that brighter. But there, you could just as easily have said that you needed actually two because of the more severe consequences of that testimony. All right. So anyway, but that's what the Gemara is saying. But when it comes to testifying, one is the one who is believed. And again, by the way, I should also mention this one who is believed is with a backdrop of Kinoy and Stira. If one guy just shows up and says, "I saw this woman commit adultery," it's like, he, you know, I mean, there's Gemaras where basically like they laugh the guy because of that because of Moshe Shemra. So it's actually he's only believed when it builds on the foundation of Kinoy and Stira. Okay, if you say, so if you take a look, Rashi says that explicitly. Rashi says. Uh, it's six lines from the bottom. Rashi says, only if, only if there was a kinoi, there was a stira, and then he comes and he says, I saw her commit adultery. And with this person, okay. right? with, with this, oh, presum- presumably, right, with this person. Okay, so we, so that's really not hinted to in the Mishnah, but we're coming with an assumption that that's the halacha. We're using this as an opportunity to put that on the table. That if there's an edacha to the adultery that follow to the act, following the warning that we believe the Eid enough that she's divorced and loses her Ksufa. So, um, So here's really why we say it, not really, like, really how we know this. One witness says that I, beca- that, that I saw her become Tamei. She wouldn't drink and we would just assume, you know, take him at his word and she'd get divorced without a Ksufa. She would be believed. So, how do you know one witness is believed in this type of a case? So, the Tanah Rabbanan, because we taught. The aid ain't bust. 
Okay, the Hiloni Spasa. So it says, he, he suspects his wife, but there's no witness to it, to the fact, and she was not raped. Okay, and then it goes on. That's the Parsha of Sota. So it says, It means that there are not two witnesses. Maybe it means there's not even one witness. Or just eight of the singular. One man cannot rise up against, uh, one witness cannot rise up against a person. She could have just said, an aid should not rise up against a person. So, of course, I'll be talking about even one man. Once, it would say it in the singular, one witness. Why does it have to say one witness? This becomes a paradigm. From this we can infer, because it's our how to say, echad, that the word aid by itself, harekan shnayim, means a, uh, means a group of aidim, two aidim, that would have the full weight of witnesses. Okay, so therefore, because it's sedechad, I learned that aid by itself means two witnesses. Very uh, universal principle of how the Gemara reads uh, the psukim, that aid by itself means two witnesses. That's, amazing. Okay. That's like an amazing question. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, until the Torah tells you one, but aid by itself means two. So it says the Now we're going to say it means there are no two. There aren't two witnesses against her. There's one witness against her. Okay, the and she hasn't been raped. So if saying there's only one witness against her, and she hasn't been raped. Presumably, therefore, what's the consequence of that? There's testimony that she committed adultery. There's not two witnesses. There's one, and it hasn't wasn't case of rape. So therefore, presumably, the consequence is asura. The aid is believed and she's forbidden. Now again, that is a strange read of the Psukim. Because the Psukim say, Right? Because there, are, because there aren't witnesses, he has to go through the ritual of Sota. Yes, that's what the Psukim say. Yes, everybody with me, right? That's what the Psukim say. When the Gemara is saying, oh, there aren't two witnesses, there's one witness. Oh, in that case, don't go through the ritual of Sota. We'll assume she did it. Right? So besides, you know, reading in the Pasuk that there's one witness, it reads a New, a new like law about that and if there's one witness then it's going to be even more severe we're going to assume she did it and you don't go through the ritual of Sota okay so that's how we're reading it um Okay. Um, Ella, time, now the Gemara is just going to figure out the, uh, you know, let's just get to the two dots. It'll figure out, what, like, what it could have said. Ella, time of the cost of lo yakum edechad bi'ish. It's because it says lo yakum edechad. Halav hachiyavamina edesotachad. So now it's going back to say, you only knew the word aid meant one witness because of this other pasuk that taught you that aid means, I mean, that, that you only knew that aid meant two witnesses because of this other pasuk that tells you the word aid always means two witnesses. Okay? If it weren't for that other pasuk, I would have said aid means there isn't even one witness against her, right? That's why I most likely would have read the Pasuk. So the Gemara says, how could I have read it that way? If there isn't even one witness, how does she become forbidden? Now again, it's a strange question. Because the simple sense of the Pasuk is, because there's no witnesses, he has to bring her to the base of Mikdash. But we are reading the Pasuk, there's not two witnesses, and she wasn't raped, and therefore she's forbidden. Somehow we're reading in this other thing in the Pasuk. That in this case, don't bring her to the base and make the she's forbidden. So it says, so of course it means that there was not two but one, because if there were no witnesses, why would she be forbidden? Okay? So it's true. No, I needed from this other pasuk to tell me that aid meant two. Why? Here's how I could have read the pasuk thinking aid means one. Aid ain't ba. It means one, there's not one witness against her. It means ain't ba. Okay, that me it would have just got me to the same place. I mean, actually, no, it would have told me one witness is not believed or believed to testify against her. I would have said you would have needed two witnesses if you want to think, if you want to conclude definitely that she committed adultery. That's how I would have read it had Edward Aid met one. I says one minute. So, if it's telling me one witness is not believed, so what would it have told me I would have needed if I would have read the Pasuk that way? We said, oh, you can't believe one witness. You need two witnesses. That's how I would have read the Pasuk if aid would have meant one rather than two. So, if that's true, so why would I need a Pasuk to tell me I need two witnesses? I always know you need two witnesses. It says by, it says by Mamon, it says, um, it says, it says by like committing adultery, umatzaba ervat davar. It has the word davar. 
It says by a pasuk by by money. It says apish naim edim. So naim edim yakum davar. So from the link of the word davar, I know that all things require two witnesses. So here, what it's saying is, you told me aiding ba means there's not two witnesses. There's one. I had to read it that way because I couldn't have read it meant one witness is not against her because then she wouldn't have been presumed guilty and I couldn't have read it don't believe one witness against her because I wouldn't have needed a pasuk I would have known that you always need two witnesses so Gemara says I would have known that two witnesses aren't believed that you need two witnesses even if it has not said anything you always need two witnesses here becomes the point about this whole little hypothetical okay so pay attention now it's true here's why I would have needed the pasuk to explicitly say that you needed two, which is not the halacha, but here's why I would have needed it. I would have thought to say, even if the Pasuk had said nothing, I would have thought maybe here we should believe one. Why here should we believe one? Because, so Tashani, here it's different than normal cases. That you should remember that from just a few days ago in Nazir. Because there's circumstantial evidence. There's a good basis to presume it. So had the Torah said, so I would have said, naturally I would have said one would have been believed. And maybe that's why the Torah would have to tell me, don't believe one, you need two. Now, Sharekina Lavanistra, what's the Raglan Ludavar? He warned her, and she disregarded his warning. The warning isn't enough. The warning might just be his own jealousy, but it's the combination of the disregarding and going into private, following the fact that he warned her and was suspicious. All of that means we got to look into this, okay? Then I would have thought to believe one. So it could have been the Torah was telling me, don't believe one, you need two, because I would have had a reason to believe one. The funny thing is that that actually is the halacha right remember the halacha winds up being we do believe one witness here normally we need two witnesses and the end of the day we're saying here we believe one witness again not to prosecute her but to say she's divorced without her tshuva why do we believe one witness by that she committed adultery so the Gemara is telling you so right here the Gemara has introduced two major points about Masechet Sota number one Asr Lakanos and raising that question right about like you know sort of and sort of like you shouldn't be doing it not raising question, raising the issue that it's a bad thing, and number two, explaining why it actually, uh, all of this makes sense, because of Raglayim Ludover. That's why we go through with the ritual, that's why an Eidechad would be believed, because of Raglayim Ludover. Uh, yeah? Circumstantial evidence is based on the one witness. No, no, no. The circumstantial evidence is based on the two witnesses that he warned her and then she went into private. And, well, that depends, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. Okay, so some of that might also be one witness, but it is but based on Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. But then, in addition to all of that, a witness then says she committed adultery. Right. Well, let me just... Okay, well, you know what? It's already 8.30, so I'm just going to read the last sentence. Okay? So the Gemara says, uh, uh, how could I have thought to read the Pasuk to mean don't believe don't believe one she'll be you know and therefore she'll be permitted that would have been the hypothetical read of the Pasuk says she wasn't raped the point of the Pasuk is to tell you that she's forbidden because she's not raped is that there's not a mitigating factor I mean we assume she did it no, it's true. I would have thought to read the Pasuk the following way. One witness is not believed. You need to. And if you have to, then she'll be, she'll be, she'll be guilty. She'll be guilty if she hasn't been raped. Don't read the Pasuk that way. So all this was a hypothetical. Don't read the Pasuk that way. We read the Pasuk that there are not two witnesses. There's one witness and one witness and she hasn't been raped that's enough to assume that she did it and she would not drink the waters so one witness of having committed adultery already determines that she's guilty to the point not that she gets pro- prosecuted but she gets divorced without excusa.